This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here's our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. When I was back in Brooklyn and attended the wedding of the son of an Orthodox rabbi, friend of mine, and it was held at the center of Chabad, where Rabbi Schneerson Lubavitch, he lived and worked, and there was a series of houses in Brooklyn. And uh, he's Parkway Drive, and they said to me, would you like to go down and see the auditorium in the basement? And I said, sure, you know. And so just don't tell them who I am, and we'll be fine. And so anyway, we went down there, and I was absolutely amazed. There was maybe about four houses, like row houses there, and they had excavated underneath all those houses right up to the next street and just stretched down there. And there was this large auditorium under there. And it was filled with wooden tables and wooden chairs and young men. They all looked the same. They all looked the same with their black hats and their white shirt and their ties. I told them, I said, don't expect me to know your names because you all look the same, you know. But they were all there and they were bent over books, books that they had gotten off of the walls just uh, so many books, and they were reading, and they were chanting, and they were davening back and forth as they were memorizing all these books, religious books, the Talmud, the Mishnah, the Gomorrah, the Kabbalah, they were all there. And these were the kind of students that Nicodemus had under him, that Nicodemus taught. So he was a very religious man. So as far as religion was concerned, Nicodemus did everything right. But as far as God was concerned, Nicodemus did everything wrong. And the first wrong thing he did is in verse 2 where it says he came to Jesus by night. He came to him by night. Why? So he wouldn't be seen. So that he could look this way and look that way and just slip in to where the Lord Jesus was because he was afraid. He was ashamed. He was a man under conviction, but he was also a man that feared man. He was afraid that someone would come to him and say, oh, Nicodemus, didn't I see you go to Jesus? And Nicodemus, oh, no, not me. No, not me. You must be mistaken. You must have seen someone else that looked like me. You know, I wouldn't go to Jesus. Oh, no, 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 you're mistaken. See, 
Nicodemus cared more about his reputation and his standing to be seen among men that he would not come to Jesus by day. So he huddled like a coward to speak to the Lord in the night. And this is the first wrong thing that Nicodemus did. He hid the fact that he knew he needed the Lord Jesus. Next, the next wrong thing he did in verse two is how he called him. He called him rabbi. You know, rabbi is a very common title, very common title. People use it without thinking. I don't use it. I don't say, you know, rabbi, but why? Because it has a meaning in Hebrew. Rabbi means my teacher. I'll say rev or rab, teacher, but not rabbi, because rabbi means my teacher. No one should ever call a person a rabbi unless that's that person's teacher. Just like when the people called the Lord Jesus Lord, and he called them on it, and he said, wait a minute, wait a minute, in Luke 6.46, Luke 6.46, when he says, why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? If the Lord was rabbi to Nicodemus, then Nicodemus was obligated to do what the Lord Jesus said to do. It was wrong for Nicodemus to call the Lord rabbi if he wasn't willing to do what the Lord said, which was forget about your reputation. Let it die when the Lord said in Matthew 16, 24, Matthew 16, 24, then said Jesus unto his disciples, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. The Lord taught that if if a man was gonna follow him, he needed to confess the Lord openly. I'm a follower of the Lord Jesus. He said that in Matthew 10, 32. Matthew 10, 32, when the Lord said, whosoever therefore shall confess me before men, him will I also confess before my Father which is in heaven. But whosoever shall deny me before men, him will I also deny before my Father which is in heaven. So that, so he was wrong in this rabbi in coming by night. The next thing that Nicodemus did which was wrong is he says in verse two, The same came to Jesus by night, said, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God. For no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. See, he says, we know that thou art a teacher come from God. A teacher come from God. That's it? That's it? Just a teacher? How about a savior? How about God? Instead of calling the Lord Jesus just a rabbi, just a teacher, how about the woman from Canaan? The woman from Canaan in Matthew 15, 22. Matthew 15, 22, where it says, Behold, a woman of Canaan came out of the same coast and cried unto him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, thou son of David. How about that? O Lord, thou son of David. My daughter is grievously vexed with the devil. Or instead of just calling him rabbi and teacher, how about what Peter and the disciples called the Lord in Matthew 14, 30? Matthew 14, 30. But when he saw the wind was boisterous, Peter, he was afraid and beginning to sink, he cried out saying, Lord, save me. How about that? Lord, save me. Or the disciples in Matthew 8.25, Matthew 8.25, his disciples came to him and awoke him saying, Lord, save us, we perish. How about that? When does a person cry to the Lord Jesus, Lord? He cries that when he realizes that he's in desperate need of a savior when he realizes that he really is a dirty, rotten sinner, and he desperately needs a savior. This is not Nicodemus. Nicodemus did not see himself 
as a dirty, rotten sinner. He saw himself as the master teacher of the Jews who was visiting another great teacher like himself. That's no start with God. There's no start with God without coming to God as a dirty, rotten sinner. The next thing that Nicodemus did wrong was to be led to these conclusions by these miracles. When he told the Lord that he was convinced that the Lord was a teacher come from God because of the miracles that he did, so Nicodemus is only focused on these miracles of the Lord. He's not focused on his own personal rottenness as a sinner. And what happened by that, he undervalued the Lord. He undervalued him. The Lord was not just a teacher. He was God. He was the creator of Nicodemus. And from the miracles that Nicodemus was focused on, he was only convinced that God was with him and not that the Lord Jesus was God himself. Rabbi, in verse two, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. He said to the Lord Jesus that he believed the Lord to be a miracle-working teacher from God. Now, that was the state of Nicodemus. He was religious. He was proud. He didn't see himself as a dirty, rotten sinner. A religious man valued his reputation and then snuck in unnoticed to talk with the Lord Jesus at night. A religious man who feared man more than he feared God. And that was what the Lord Jesus knew was in man. There is a Nicodemus in every man. There is a religion without God in every man. There is a religion based on the honor of man in every man. And what's so great about this passage is the Lord didn't look at Nicodemus and said, oh, away with you, I can't deal with you. But he met him in his need. He didn't dismiss him in his need. And so the Lord says to him, he answers him in verse three, and he says unto him, verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. You know, in verse three, what's so amazing is that it uses the word answered. Jesus answered Nicodemus. But what the Lord said doesn't appear to be an answer at all. It appears like they're not even on the same page. And the Lord's answer seems to have nothing to do with what Nicodemus said. But in reality, it has everything to do with what Nicodemus says. See, the Lord looked at Nicodemus and he saw, this is a religious man who is spiritually dead. He spiritually is dead. His life is so bad that it's not repairable. (laughs) We might as well throw it in the trash heap and start all over again with a new life. And so the Lord told Nicodemus, you need life. You need life. When he says to him in verse three, verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, a new life, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And it's interesting because the Lord, as he does so wonderfully so many times, he picks up on what Nicodemus said. He listened to Nicodemus and he said, oh, I just heard a word that's gonna be a hook. I'm gonna use that same word. You see, because Nicodemus in the same word is accept. Nicodemus used that word. Nicodemus had said that, well, no man can do these miracles that you do except God be with him. In other words, there's no way for a person to do the miracles unless God is with them. And the Lord said, oh, you wanna talk about there's no way and there's except, I'll give you one. There's no way for a person to see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. A new life, that's the most dramatic renovation that a person can have. It's a dramatic change. And so the Lord Jesus is telling Nicodemus, without this new life, there's no heaven for you. Without this new life, there's no friendship with God for you. 
In other words, if a person comes to the Lord Jesus with just, you are a teacher, you are a great teacher, there's no start with God. A person has to come to the Lord Jesus and say, you are a new life giver, and I need new life. To only call the Lord a rabbi or a teacher will never bring a person to the new life by being born again. And there are many lost people today who say that the Lord Jesus was a teacher, the Lord Jesus was a rabbi, but they do not see him as a life giver. For example, I received a letter last week by, from a Holocaust survivor in which she wrote these things to me in her letter. She said, Holocaust survivor, I have a great thing to ask you, Tom. Please do not keep asking me to believe in Jesus and convert. I will never do it. Yeshua was a rabbi, a Jew, and that's how he remains with me for the rest of my life. Now, what has she said there? She said that Yeshua, or Jesus, was just a rabbi, nothing more. No savior, no God, no life giver. That's how Nicodemus saw the Lord Jesus. That pretty much sums up Nicodemus at this point in his life. Yeshua was a rabbi, but not a person to convert to. But the Lord told Nicodemus that just to see the Lord as a rabbi come from God, that's not enough. And then the Lord uses two musts in this passage, two musts, two necessities. He says the first must is in verse seven, he said, marvel not that I sent unto thee, ye must be born again. Above everything else, Nicodemus must have this new life from being born again. There's a second must, we didn't read it, but it's down in verse 14, just John 3.14, 3.14. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. The Lord had to be lifted up on the cross for healing like the serpent was lifted up, had to be lifted up by Moses for healing. And Nicodemus could only be healed when he made the Lord Jesus his sacrifice for the sins of his soul. He must make the Lord Jesus his sacrifice for sin. He had to go from, Nicodemus had to go from thou art a teacher to thou art a savior from sin. And what the Lord Jesus knew was in every man and which symbolized here in Nicodemus was pride, religious pride. A person has to understand that he's a dirty, rotten sinner before he can understand who Jesus is. Instead of John 3, 2, we know thou art a teacher, it must be Luke 18, 13, Luke 18, 13, the publican, the publican standing afar off would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote his breast saying, God be merciful to me, a sinner. Now, what's wonderful about the book of John is that it doesn't end here, but that we can see what the Lord Jesus told Nicodemus, it didn't fall on deaf ears. Because we can see in the book of John a gradual change, a transformation that began to happen step by step with Nicodemus, it's wonderful. First, Nicodemus, he changed in that he's no longer afraid of his colleagues, of his Sanhedrin colleagues who were against, who were prejudiced against the Lord Jesus. Because then we see in John 7.45, John 7.45, Nicodemus of all people standing up for the Lord when it said in John 7.45, came the officers to the chief priests and Pharisees and they said unto them, why have you not brought him? Speaking about Jesus, they should have brought Jesus. The officers answered, 
Never man spake like this man. Then answered the Pharisees, are you also deceived? Have any of the rulers of the Pharisees believed on him? But this people knoweth not the law and their curse. Have any of the rulers believed on him? And guess what happens then in verse 50, John 7, verse 50, Nicodemus, the ruler, Nicodemus saith unto them, he that came to Jesus by night, being one of them, doth our law judge any man before it hear him and know what he doeth? They answered and said unto him, art thou also of Galilee? Search and look, for out of Galilee ariseth no prophet. So he got this bravery, he is courageous, and then in a far more dangerous position, more dangerous than then just being an internal discussion of the Sanhedrin, at the cross, Nicodemus steps out in front of all to see, and he craves the dead body of the Lord Jesus to have the honor of taking it down from the cross and burying it. Nicodemus knew the cost at that point, but for him, it was worth it. It was worth it for him to lose his reputation, lose his future as a Jew, take his stand for the Lord Jesus. And what happened on that day? That was a great day. That was where we can see Nicodemus there before the cross, and he's remembering the teaching of the Lord. It's all coming back to him now when he remembers the Lord told him in John 3.14, John 3.14, oh, I remember uh, he told me, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Oh, I remember, for God so loved the world. No, for God so loved Nicodemus that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever, no, that if Nicodemus believes in him, should not perish but have everlasting life. And with that in his mind, he steps forward and he goes and takes the body of the Lord off. The religious man who had been dead understood at the cross that God so loved him that he gave his son so Nicodemus would believe in him and not perish but have everlasting life. So the religious man who thought he found the teacher went away and found the savior and the life giver. That's the first person. The second person that's held out for us of what he knew was in man is set before, as another example, is the Samaritan woman, the Samaritan woman. She came to the well at a very strange time of day when men came to the well. She was a woman who was dirty inside from her sexual sins. This woman had had five husbands and an untold number of men that she just lived with, didn't even bother getting married. She was living with one of those men and not her husband when she came to the well on that momentous day for her. Now, we look at this woman and you see what the Lord knew what was in man. She's coming to the well, it's in the heat of the day, she's thirsty, she's thirsty. She wants water from the well but she's been to the well before, just like with water. It satisfies for a while, but then you get thirsty again. So she's getting thirsty again, she's coming back. That returning thirst, that returning to the well is what the Lord used to draw on and to say, that's like your life. That's like your life. You have gone from one man to another man, like going to this well, and each time with each man, there's the promise. Now I'm going to be satisfied of the thirst within. She has a thirst to be loved, to be wanted, and each man satisfied her temporarily with the appearance of loving her, with the appearance of wanting her, but each man left her again, thirsty inside. 
She has a thirst to be cared for. She has a thirst to have someone take care of her, financial security. Each man gave her the appearance temporarily to care for her, to give her this financial security, but each man left her again, thirsty inside. She has a thirst for peace. She has a thirst for happiness. Each man gave her the appearance that finally in this relationship, it's gonna be different. And in his arms, her scared soul could rest. At last, she was gonna have a home, a place of rest for her soul. But each man left her abandoned and again thirsty inside. Deep down, she longs for this thirst of her soul to be satisfied. And men have all left her and only made her thirst worse. And deep down in her soul, she feels so dirty. She feels so defiled. She feels like she needs to be clean. But all those men just made her feel more dirty and more thirsty inside. So with each new man, it was like she had dug a new cistern, hoping that water is now gonna be held in this new cistern that's gonna satisfy her. But she found out what Israel found out in Jeremiah 2.13. Jeremiah 2.13, when God says, looks at his people, and he says, my people have committed two evils. They have, the first one, they have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and the second evil, and have hewed out cisterns, broken cisterns, that can hold no water. God said his people have forsaken him. He's the fountain of living waters, and instead they decide to build new cisterns apart from God. Who needs God? They build new cisterns. The only trouble is the new cisterns are all broken. They're broken from the start, so the water just runs out when they need it the most, and that's like all those men in this woman's life. The water just ran out of those broken cisterns, and all those men were not there when she needed them, just like the water wasn't there in the cistern when they, when they needed it the most. And so now she comes to the well. It's in the heat of the day. She's physically thirsty, and she's also soul thirsty. She sees a man whom she only knows to be a Jew, and the man does something amazing in verse 7. He says, give me to drink. He asked her for water. He asked her for a drink. It seems so strange to her because he's a Jew. He's talking to Samaritans. Jews don't talk to Samaritans, but she really doesn't know how strange that really is because she doesn't know that he's not just a Jew. He's God the Son who has become a man, and God the Son who has become a man has become thirsty, and he's asking her for some water to drink. She doesn't know. He's turned water into wine. He's miraculously fed thousands, but now he's not because he's not gonna do anything that God the Father has not told him to do, even if it meant starving in the wilderness when the devil was saying, turn the stones into bread, you can do it. But he says, I'd rather die than to act independently of God the Father because I'm gonna live by every word that proceeds out of his mouth. That's more important than bread. So now again, he's humbled himself, and he's now the Savior who is thirsty. And the woman's amazed, and she asks him in verse 9, Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, ask a drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? The Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. And she's going to learn that this Jew is going to give her the ultimate soul-quenching water of life. She's going to learn that this Jew is going to die for her sins and give her new life the same new life that Nicodemus received from him. 
Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher Tom Cantor here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California 92071. That's P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. That's tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. For more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. This program was brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries.